Morning. You want to turn to John? We're going to finish up uh, talking about John the Baptist today, Lord willing. We start in John 1, and then we'll jump around a little bit here. Let's start in uh, verse 19 here of John 1. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, "Why Then why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Now we're going to jump ahead here a little bit into John chapter 3, starting in verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because the water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness. Look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing, unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, I must decrease. Okay. Well, so I'm just going to start by reviewing kind of what we talked about in this short topical biographical sketch of John. First thing we talked about was how strange it is in John chapter 1 the way some of these things are said about John where he says he did not deny but confessed and did not deny that he was not the Christ. Like really odd way to talk, period. You know, and I gave the example if I said and I in the first week I made the point but I did not say um Something opposite of that. But what I did was make the point. It's like, what in the world? <laughs> that's a weird sentence. But you're emphasizing something. And that's exactly what John's doing here. He did not deny but confessed and did not deny that he, he was not the Christ. And so there's a lot of negatives there. Probably an English professor could say, you're not supposed to write that many negatives. But John um, did. God told him to. So if I ever have too many negatives in my sentence... There's my justification. God said it was okay, basically. Um, anyways, just that's a total aside. Um, 
back to the real point. So he, he, the whole point of it was who he's not and who he is. And we talked about that, knowing who you are and knowing who you're not. And that's huge. He was very clear that he was not the prophet. He was not Elijah. He was not the light. He was just a witness uh, to Jesus. He was not the point. He was just a pointer to the point who's Christ. And we talked about that, how important that is for us. We've got to know who we're not. We have to know we're not God. We have to know we're not other people. We have to know who is the point, um, and that's Jesus. And our job is just to point to him wherever he's put us. And that looks different for a lot of different people. Um, John uh, had a kind of a crazy lifestyle, and he did something very strange. He lived out in the wilderness wearing camel's hair and eating locusts and wild, uh, wild honey. So he was the first... Um, as far as I know, like vegan type person, you know, just eating honey and locusts, <laughs> uh, kind of strange, but it was just bizarre, right? His lifestyle and God called him to that and he was confident in that and he knew this is what God wants me to do and he pressed on and he did his job faithfully and so then we talked in this, you know, two weeks ago about how He's an example of humble faithfulness. Humble faithfulness. And you may not have realized it, but I basically just preached the same message again, which is like saying the same thing just a little different way, because humility, we said, is um, knowing, is just knowing who you are. And which is kind of what we talked about the first time. Humility is realizing, I am who God made me. I'm not the point. I'm not going to be around forever. The point is not for everyone to look to me. It's to be a pointer to Jesus. And that's what real humility is, um, is knowing our limitations and knowing that God is God. And he's an example of faithfulness. He did what God asked him to do and no more. He didn't um, try and amass followers, and when God called him to let them go, he did. And we just read about that. And so he was faithful. And we just talked about how greatness really is faithfulness. Um, Jesus called John the Baptist is great for, I think, a lot of reasons, but we looked at some of the verses in Matthew where we just saw that faithfulness is what God is looking for. God's not looking for us to make a big impact. God's not looking for us to get a bunch of followers. God's not looking for us to do anything but be faithful to him where he's put us and do what he wants us to do. And that, you know, whether you have one talent or ten talents, uh, the message is the same in the end, which is, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, enter into the joy of your master, the rest. Um, and we want to be faithful where we are. And so that leads us to kind of what we read this time in John chapter 3. That's all just kind of review here. Um, and then I want to talk here specifically about something we've hit on a couple different times, but the idea of comparison here. So if you're in John chapter 3 still, you see, paraphrasing, basically they started comparing him to Jesus. So look, all these people are leaving and used to be baptizing, now he's baptizing everyone, what are we going to do? And he basically says, that's okay. He says, that's fine, um, because that's my point. That's what I'm here to do is point to Jesus. And if people you know, stop following me around in the wilderness, they start listening to Jesus, that's a good thing. And his followers are kind of encouraging him in, in a way to compare himself 
to others. And knowing who you are and knowing who you're not and humble faithfulness, the things we've already talked about that John's exemplified, it should, one of the effects that should have is freeing us from this bondage that can come from comparing ourselves to others. Because when we look out, we're not looking for comparisons. We're looking to Jesus because he's the one that gives us our purpose and we're looking for what he wants us to do. And that's independent of the person next to you. They don't define you. And if they do great, um, that doesn't make your job any different. If something happens, um, we can trust the Lord. As long as we know who we're not uh, we're, and who we are. That we are, there's so many things that we are. Children of God, we're forgiven. You know, we could go on and on about that. Um, but if we're confident in who God made us, and what he's done for us, then we can move forward without comparing ourselves to others. And I would just ask you to think about it. I mean, is the, does this happen to you, or do you do this to yourself, where you start comparing yourself to other people, consciously or subconsciously, throughout the week? You know, um, I'm sure there's more or less of this in certain personalities and tendencies, certain stages of life. But just ask yourself, is this something I do regularly? It could be looks, it could be um, knowledge, it could be a thousand things that you might uh, compare yourself to others. And then I'll ask you a follow-up question. Do you encourage others to do this? Um, And I'll give you an example. Uh, I mean, preaching is kind of an example that, you know, you could basically be sending the wrong message even when you're talking about good things. So imagine, you know, you go to a conference where there's a bunch of preaching or whatever and there's a lot of speakers. How you talk about that afterwards could definitely be encouraging comparison between people in your own mind and maybe even to the person if it gets back to them. Think about how wrong that really is. Um, If one message was helpful to you um, and maybe another wasn't or was boring or whatever, and you the way you talk about it could encourage comparison. What And you could say something like, well, didn't so-and-so give such a great message? Or, um, you know, what message really spoke to you? Or, or something like that. And then the way you talk about it could encourage that. The reality is, is um, there's a lot of ways we do this, maybe even without realizing it, in our own minds or even to others. It's something we want to be aware of and avoid. And now, the encouraging thing about this passage is that John gives us a reason. Like, okay, not just avoid doing this, this isn't good, but what's the ground, what's the root that frees us from this? Okay, let's look at these verses here together. So they basically encourage him. Look what's happening, you know, all these people are leaving. And then in verse 27, listen to John's response. It's pretty amazing. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has a bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, the joy of mine is now complete. There's actually quite a few parts to this answer, but we'll start with this. The first 
thing that can free us from comparison, tying into all these things we've already talked about, is seeing that a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Every single person, what we have, the giftings we have, the place you're put, opportunities you have, everything you have is given from God. God gave it to you. And the same for the person next to you and around you and the person you work with and uh, your family. All of it comes from God. And so it frees us, one, from, from boasting, right? Because, you know, if I, uh, me personally, if I could have, you know, as a teenager, I would have um, liked to be able to request, you know, that I was like six foot three, four, five, so I could be a professional athlete. Probably still couldn't have, but would have had a better chance, you know. Um, but the reality is none of us request the way God made us. God gives it to us, right? In our mother's womb, he knits us together, and we don't get to request that. And the same for the person who is, you know, in, you know, six foot four, six foot five. Um, and the same for all your category, you know, all the categories you have. Your, your singing ability, um, how quickly you absorb information, the family you were brought up in, a thousand things. God, everything that God gave you was given to you. And you didn't necessarily get to choose the vast majority of things about you. And neither did the person next to you. And so we, when we recognize that, that can free us from comparison because God has a purpose for every person, right? God has a purpose for you and where he's placed you. And he made you a specific way for a purpose. If you needed any of those things, you would have them. Think about all the verses um, where even Psalm 23 the Lord is my shepherd. He gives me everything I need. Or, you know, the SV I think says, I shall not want. But um, a little bit, we don't really talk like that, so I kind of like that. He gives me everything I need. If you need something, God's going to give it to you. The purpose God has placed you in, he's going to help you to fulfill that purpose with whatever, wherever he's put you, whatever he's gifted you in, however he's made you, and he's... He's using that in your life. So when we are tempted to compare other people or to compare ourselves to other people, we've got to remember God is the one that made each of us. That's very a weighty thing for you and for the other people around you. Because think about what John would have been saying if he started complaining he would have been saying, God, I don't like where you put me. I could have, I could have made it better. That's kind of scary. <laughs> it's kind of a scary thing to say to God. Um, God, I think I've got it figured out more than you. It comes back to humility, right? We, you know, I don't know, I don't know who's the oldest person in here, but none of us are over 100, right? And God's been around forever. So we, we can't instruct God on what we, he ought to be doing, how he ought to be running the world. And so we can... See that God's made us different and just rest in him. That it's, he's the one in charge. That he's the one that gives these things and takes these things away. Um, and we can rest that he knows what he's doing. That's good news. The other thing is, a lot of that is um, personal, right? So you comparing yourself to others but also comparing others. Um, 
you know, in your own mind or maybe out loud. The reality is that God has a purpose for every person and we don't know what he's doing. In fact, the kingdom of heaven, you know, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast um, that goes into flour and then percolates, that's the wrong word, but spreads throughout the whole thing. Um, and we don't even see how it works many of the times, uh, much of the time. It's silent, but it's pervasive. You don't really know. We're not, we don't really know what God's doing. We can't tell just looking out at um, our job today, what you're doing at your job today, or um, but just by listening to a sermon or looking at someone's day-to-day life to know what God's doing there kingdom with kingdom impact. We can't see that. Uh, it, it's wrong to think that we can look and know exactly what's going on because that's what John's disciples thought. They thought, man, like, look, I'm looking at the situation and I think it's wrong. And it was exactly the right thing, right? All these people are leaving John and following Jesus and that's exactly the right thing. And that was huge. And they couldn't have foreseen that. Look, the guy who wrote this book used to be a follower of John the Baptist. The reason we have the Gospel of John is he left John and followed Jesus. Praise the Lord that he did. Think about 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Revelation, and this Gospel. Wow, praise the Lord that John was so open-handed with, yeah, go, follow. This is the Lamb. Um, this is the Lamb that's going to take away the sin of the world. You follow him. And they did. Praise the Lord for that. What an impact that is of just having that, John having the open hand, knowing, here I am, this is what God has for me, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability, and that's okay. Uh, If that means I decrease, and he increases, praise the Lord. And I don't know what that looks like for you. I I mean, we could probably list a hundred things. But... Whatever there is in your life, there may be things where it'd be easier make you feel better, make you feel more important if something, um, if you kept something, if you held on to something, if you pursued something. But God's calling you to do the opposite. He's calling you to let it go, to maybe to not say something, maybe to um, leave things, maybe to not pursue um, something that would. that would make you feel good or make you feel better or something. And you're okay because you know that you're doing what God wants you to do. I don't know what that looks like to you. It may be money. I mean, money is a huge thing in our culture. You know, it's like people can pursue money um, to the exclusion of all the other things God wants them to do. And there's extreme examples, of course. Easy to take some extreme examples, but... um, you know, some of the high-powered professions like lawyers and, and doctors where people are working 80, 90 hours a week and they don't know their kids. We can be doing that in subtle ways, whether it's that obvious or not, whether it's money or time or hobbies or a thousand things where we don't want to hold on to something so tightly um, that we want or that would make us feel good if it's not what God wants for us. And so we open our hand and we say, that's okay if I don't can't buy a new car, especially now. Um, so we don't want to compare. Um, comparison can drive a lot of that too. And you can, you can just think about that in our culture, how much comparison really drives some of those, some of those mistakes, really, comparing your house to your neighbor's house or, or whatever. 
So the first thing that can free us from this comparison is seeing that God is one that gives to all. Um, but look at the second thing here. second thing that he says that can help us free us from this comparison. Let's start back in 27. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ who would have sent, been sent before him. The one who has the bridegroom, the bride is a bridegroom. And the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine, the, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. Well, the second thing that can really help free us from comparison is looking to Jesus. Right? We're not looking to other people to compare ourselves to, the, to others around us. We're looking to Christ. That's huge. If, our, if we keep our gaze focused on Christ, He's the one we're pointing to, He's the one we're looking to, then that we don't have to compare ourselves. We're just looking to Him. He's the one that tells us what to do. And when He is exalted, we rejoice. And John really did pretty an amazing job here in his life looking to Jesus. Um, people are pressing him really to do a lot of different things and he's just focused on his missions like this is what God wants me to do and he's, he's going all out for it. And even when he gets confused, you know, later on he's not sure what's going on with Jesus. He's in jail and he's sending his, the people that are still with him to ask Jesus questions. He went to the right place, you know, even if he wasn't clear or maybe he had some doubts. It doesn't say exactly what he was, what his internal state was, but he certainly went to the right place. He went right to Jesus, even in jail. He's sending people to Jesus. Kind of amazing there. Um, Maybe I've had the thought before and I have no idea if this is true or not. It's total speculation, but it made me wonder if part of that was just for his disciples. You know, it's like, you guys are still following me. I've been telling people to follow Jesus. Why don't you go ask Jesus this question? <laughs> it's a great place to send his disciples. Um, and he may have had a question too. I don't know. That's total speculation. But the reality is he went to the right place. He was looking to Jesus, um, even in even in jail. Um, in a very outward way, we can see that. That's where he was looking for his basically his orders. You know, what, what should I do next? Um, this isn't how I expected it. And what does, what does this lead to? And uh, this is kind of how I'm going to kind of wrap this up is this whole series um, kind of what's the result of all this? And I want to point out to you that I think the result, if we know who we're not, we're not God, uh, we're not other people, and we know who we are, we're God's children, we're forgiven, um, we're placed where we are for a purpose. If we have humble faithfulness, you know, I'm going to, I'm not, the, you know, the be-all, end-all, because Jesus is the be-all, end-all, right? Um, and so I'm just going to do what God has me to do where I'm at, where, what he's given me to do. And that's a very small amount of things, right? I'm not going to live very long. Um, people aren't going to know my name in 100 years, maybe two, you know, maybe your great-grandkids will. But then after that, probably all of us are going to be forgotten, you know. And the reality is, that's okay, because Jesus is the point. And so if we stick to that, and we, you know, try and look to him, not compare ourselves, really rest in who he's made us to be, where we're supposed to be. What's the result of all those things that we've talked about? Well, joy. Joy, it seems like, is the result here. He says that over and over here at the end. Look right here in 28. 
You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, and I must decrease. See the, see the word there, rejoice and joy. He rejoices greatly, he says, at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, and I must decrease. You know, really, every single one of us is going to go on this path at some point. We're all going to decrease, and Jesus is definitely going to increase, right? I mean, as we get older, God has built into our lives a decrease, right? We're going to be able to do less. We're going to be able to stay awake not as long, you know? We're not going to be able to go as fast, and eventually we're going to not be able to do anything. We're going to die. And the reality is Jesus is still going to be on the throne, and one day we're all going to bow before him. We're going to decrease, and he's going to increase, what is our attitude going to be in that? Is that something that we're thankful for, that we're okay with, that we're rejoicing in? You know, uh, even in our limitations, maybe we're on the downward slide of different things, and we can say, God, I just want you to be glorified in this. As my kids can depend on me less, I want them to depend on you more, right? Um, as there's a thousand things you could say like that. Um, really, as a teacher, that's what you're trying to do is get the kids to be able to you know, do the problem without your help um, for the test or for life or whatever. And it applies spiritually too. That, that's what we're trying to do here in general is we're trying to get every person to trust Jesus more and trust in us less. We don't want, pe- we don't want to be people's crutch. We want Jesus to be people's crutch, right? And everything. You want him to be their everything. He, him to be their everything. And so that's what we're looking for. And the question that I'm posing to you is, how does that look in our lives in terms of joy? Is there any sense in which your joy is being robbed because some of these things are lacking? Maybe it's, you can see clearly how comparing yourself to others would rob you of joy. How easy is it to find somebody who looks better than you, right? Pretty easy. Right? I mean, that's what they fill TV and magazines and everything with is not regular people. It's like people that are way taller than everybody else and, you know, all the everything. Um, the reality is, if we're constantly comparing, the world is going to rob us of our joy. Is there any sense of that? It could be something else, it could be achievement. That's, but this can rob us of our joy. The other thing that's not as clear, I don't think, and maybe it is to you, but it, to me it's not the first thing that comes to my mind, but lacking humility will rob you of joy. Yes. Because think about it. Remember what we said, humility is just seeing who we are, really, right? And we are limited, we're small, we're finite. And if we really lack that, that's going to rob us of joy. Because there's going to be thousands of things in our life that we're not able to do and we're not meant to do. And that's okay. But if every time we come upon our limits, we think my limits should be further, then we're going to be frustrated a lot, you know, and we're going to be robbed of joy a lot. Um, I'll try and think of a couple examples. Okay, I uh, I like to try to fix things, and I enjoy that kind of thing, but I'm not the most gifted person in the world or anything like that. And so when I do, 
things go wrong, <laughs> you know, often. And I had, I had this situation with my heater, and I looked at it, and I, there, water was, this is too long of a story, but I'm going to tell you anyways. Um, water was coming out of my heater, and I was like, why is water coming out of my heater, like pouring onto the floor? It's like, where is this water coming from? No water goes into your heater, you know? It's like, where does this water come from? And so then I get out the manual, and I look up all the parts, and it's like, oh, I guess that's condensation, you know? And, he, and then the manual will show you all the parts and tell you what they are or whatever. And it's like, oh, there's the trap, and oh, yep, there's a hose detached. So that's just condensation spilling out on my floor. Uh, and I got all cleaned up. I thought I had it figured out and um, put it all back together. And then I went to turn my heater on, dead. Nothing. Didn't come back on. I was like, oh, man, I don't know what I did. So eventually I called uh, a guy to come and look at it, and he came over. He knew immediately what it was, and he's like, oh, yeah, you blew a fuse. He's like, uh, water must have uh, touched some piece of the electrical um, and just this little fuse, and it took him five minutes. And he gave me the bill, and I paid him. And I said, just out of curiosity, what would it have cost if you did this yourself? Because it took me like a long time to figure it all out, clean it all up, uh, go to the store, get the parts, and um, put it all back together. Because I'm you know, doing my best, but it was kind of hard. It's like I'm trying to get the trap out without spilling a bunch of water. He said, oh, exactly the same amount. <laughs> he said, would have taken me the exit, you know. I charge you for an hour no matter what, and it would take me definitely less than an hour. <laughs> so it's like all this time and energy put into this uh, many hours, like my whole Saturday, you know. Um, and I ended up calling the guy anyways. I hit my limit, right? It's like, what am I get, what's my reaction going to be? Am I going to be mad, you know, um, because I think I should be able to do more? Sh- should I be able to always fix everything, always know the answer? That's totally unrealistic. That's a total lack of humility, right? Is There's going to be thousands of things I don't know because I'm a person. I'm not God. And when I reach my limit and I can't do whatever it is I want to be able to do or think I should be able to do, um, I can just give to the Lord. And I want to be able to do that. But there's many, many times when we get frustrated. It's like, man, I should be able to do more. I should be able to know the answers. I should be able to. And it's like, no. Every single person, everywhere, um, has limits. And, he, and the guy who fixed my heater, he's got his limits too. It just may not be in the same areas that I do. And we are all faced with situations where our humility is tested, right? And we reach our limits. Do we get frustrated? Do we get mad? And there's so many we've got. Sleep is one. Think about sleep. God made you to where you have to sleep. He gave you limits every day. You've got to sleep. And you were really good at this in, you know, American society, pushing, 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 trying to get more hours out of the day, whether that's coffee or energy drinks or whatever, it's like you've got limits built in. Is that something that frustrates you every day or is it something where you can lay down and say, God, thank you so much for sleep and I've reached my limit of energy and I'm going to go to bed. I trust you. Um, So comparison can rob us of joy. Humility can definitely, a lack of humility can rob us of joy daily. Um, I think I've used this example before, but just getting to where you want to go on time, how much frustration that can cause. Like I'm going, there's construction or whatever. Uh, You think you should be able to get there. What's our response going to be? Is it going to be anger, frustration, 
um, that we're not in control? Or can we rest? So we want to have joy uh, where God has placed us, joy in who, in humility, uh, just being who we are, not trying to be more than we are or convince ourselves, and joy in Christ being magnified, people looking to him, depending on him, even if that means we decrease. And I want to just commend this to you every day. I mean, looking to Christ every day and finding joy in him is huge. It's really, really big. I was thinking about it. When we went through Philippians, there was so much about joy. It's like, we could almost go back through it and redo it because you're just learning. You're always learning more and more about the Lord and what he wants for you. Uh, Joy is so huge in the Bible. God really wants you to have joy in him. It's really important. It's more than, I've just been reading some verses and thinking more and more about, wow, this is an amazing statement that God wants us to go through our life wherever he's placed us and have joy in it and trust him. That's huge. I'm going to read you some verses. I, uh, they're all, I'm going to jump around a ton, so I'm not going to tell you all of them, but they're all from Ecclesiastes. And just read, as I read this, think about what God is saying about joy in, in where he's placed you, how high, really, he's saying how important this is. Okay. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in all his toil. This I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes downward into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is lot, for that is his lot, and who can bring him to see what will be after him? Behold, I have seen what is good in it and is fitting. It is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them, and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There is a vanity that takes place on the earth. There is a righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. There are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. And this I said also is vanity, and I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. That was a lot. I mean, that's like over and over and over saying, there's nothing better, there's nothing better, there's nothing better. I have seen what is good and is fitting. And what he's commending is joy where God has placed you, what he's given you to do. Be joyful and do good 
all the days of your life. Fear the Lord and keep his commandments, humbling yourself before him. This is what God has given you to do. Rejoice in it and do good. That's pretty amazing. I mean, that's, that's a light burden, right? When you think of those verses about um, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, it's like God is saying, where you're at, I really want you to enjoy it every day. When you sit down for a meal, I want you to rejoice. When you go to work and the work I've given you to do, I want you to rejoice in that because that's where I've put you. And I want you to do good every day. <laughs> that's amazing. God really wants you to have joy where you're at. That means rejoice in your kids. That means rejoice in the things he has given you, the talents he has given you, and not just comparing yourself to the things you don't have. Exalting Jesus wherever you can, and when that happens, rejoice. Even if that means we're going downward, you know, even if we're decreasing and he's increasing, that's good. We can rejoice there. Because we're not God, he's God. So, a lot to think about. Uh, kind of a wrap, wrap up of the whole series, review, and then just a little bit extra, which is joy. Joy in Christ and joy in where he's put you every day. And so John is a great example here. He had a hard life. I mean, anybody want to volunteer for the next men's retreat where we're going to eat locusts and honey only for a week? <laughs> it's like, that would be hard. have <laughs> a lot of joy there, but he does, right? He's got joy in the Lord. And so we can rejoice. So, all right, well. Why don't we pray together and close. Lord, we just look to you. We're thankful for John the Baptist, uh, what you did through him and your work in his life. And we just ask that you'd help us to look to you more and more. And we want to have joy in you. We want to decrease so that you can increase. I pray we would all trust you more. Every day, we'd be more like you. I pray if there's anybody here who's really locked up uh, or comparison to others is really burning their heart and life and mind, spiritually and emotionally, I pray you'd free them and help them today um, just to let go of that and to lean on you and to look to you and find their joy in you and who you made them. Uh, pray the same for the thing we just talked about with sin. I pray we could all be honest about our sin and in that way glorify you and help others. Lean on you. We're thankful for your blood. Thankful that you died for us and didn't leave us where we were and where we are now. You're not going to leave us. You're going to keep bringing us on. We're very thankful for that. Um, forgive us and cleanse us and help us today. Amen.